to Are You Afraid of Ghosts? And my name is Jessica Gulliford. Welcome back. This is actually episode 15. I can't believe it's been 15 episodes. Um, But I'm here to tell you some ghost stories. If this is the first episode you're listening to, don't forget I do accept your personal ghost stories. I'd love to hear them. Uh, And I will read them if you allow me to. If you can send them to areyouafraidofghosts at gmail.com. And thank you to all of my listeners um, from all over the world. It's pretty amazing when you see things, um, people listening in all different countries. It's pretty cool. If you have really cool ghost stories from other countries, that's even better. Not everybody wants to hear ghost stories from the U.S. So um, definitely share them with me and don't be shy. Um, if you'd like some exclusive episodes and some discounts on I'm cre- creating with a friend some upcoming merchandise. So if you want to support that, please go to patreon.com slash are you afraid of ghosts at patreon.com slash are you afraid of ghosts for as little as $1 a month. You will help my podcast out. I can get you exclusive content that only my subscribers will hear. You can also follow me on Twitter at are you afraid three. Instagram at Are You Afraid of Ghosts, and Facebook at Are You Afraid of Ghosts. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you can know when I release new episodes. I'm going to also ask all of you a huge favor. Um, Because I'm so new and I'm doing this alone, I only have about 12 uh, ratings so far. So if you can go and actually do a five-star rating, if you really like this show, of course, and please leave a review. If you leave a review with your Twitter handle or Instagram name, Uh, I will give you a shout out and I will also um, enter you for a chance to win a gift card from me. I really appreciate it. Okay, so let's dive into this week's episode. It's all about creepy true stories that ended up in the New York Times. I didn't realize there were so many. So these were pretty cool, um, pretty cool articles that I read. Okay, so here goes. This one's called Flickering Lights, Strange Music and a Ghost at a Brooklyn Bar. Maybe. This is by Chadwick Moore. On a dark morning in September 2006, Miguel Vargas arrived for work at a Brooklyn restaurant called Sweetwater. He unlocked and lifted the security gate, took two steps inside, and saw a woman in profile walking across the dining room toward a basement stairwell. She was middle-aged with gray hair and dressed in white like a wedding dress, he said, but not one from this century. And she appeared corporal, normal. Mr. Vargas said. Um, I knew it was a ghost when I saw it. I said, okay, that's it. And I walked away. (laughs) For the next half hour, he stood outside trembling. When Mr. Vargas, a porter at the restaurant, told his bosses, they laughed. Yet the previous porter had quit in a panic, restaurant employee said. He was napping on a table in the basement and claimed to see the devil standing over him and other employees at this American bistro in Williamsburg have reported strange happenings. Music turning on without explanation, lights flickering, odd patches of luminescence in the basement, and the feeling of being watched by an unseen presence. Then there was a nerve-wracking episode a few weeks ago. While digging up the dining room floor to reinforce support beams, workers unearthed a burial site containing a three-inch stone statue of the Madonna and Child, a tiny gold ring, a pair of children's brown Mary Jane shoes, and bone fragments that the restaurant's owner, Nino Bradmo, described as probably from a small animal. 
they reburied the shoes and bones, put the statue on display behind the bar, and the bus and a busboy took the ring. After that, all the glasses were breaking. Wesley Ham, thirty-five, the manager said, "You would grab a you would grab a glass and it would shatter in your hand, or you'd look over and all the glasses on the shelf would be cracked. Sometimes it would be twenty a day." I thought the ghost was not happy about its possessions being taken from the floor. The identity of that ghost, for those who actually subscribe to the supernatural, is widely thought to be Anna Smith, eldest daughter of Charles Shaka, also known as Willie. The Shaka family purchased the building at 105 North 6th Street in 1924 for $15,000, according to property records. They converted the boarding house, built in 1899, into a restaurant and bar with two apartments upstairs where they lived for decades. The Sheikas, with roots in Austria and U- Ukraine, were part of a flood of Central European immigrants into Williamsburg from the crowded Lower East Side after the completion of the Williamsburg Bridge in 1903. Um, antithetical to the neighborhood today, the working classes pushed out the wealthy, knocking down mansions to build tenements, according to John B. Mambeck, a former Brooklyn borough historian. Mr. Shaka's Mr. first wife, Catherine Russon, died while giving birth to Ms. Smith. He then married Catherine's younger sister, Eva. She died days after giving birth to a son, Michael. These deaths likely occurred at home, Mr. Mambeck said. After the death of Mr. Sheka's third wife, Jenny, in 1952, and his death in 1955, Ms. Smith inherited the business. She continued to live upstairs and operated the bar throughout the 1960s, serving free breakfast to the meatpacking workers who had supplemented um, the Mariners. They came in for shots before their shift, their shifts, according to Peggy Ambrosio, a cousin who lives in Montauk and grew up around the restaurant. Anna was very well known in that neighborhood, Mr. Ms. Ambrosio, 76, said. Anna went to all the churches. She went to the Russian church. She went to the Polish church. She went to the Orthodox church. During an economic slide in the 1970s, Ms. Smith closed down the business. The factories had shuttered and the bar was being relentlessly robbed and vandalized, her niece Susan Sheldon said. They stole her safe once, Ms. Sheldon, 61, said. She was coming home from church and they were rolling it down the road. For many years, Ms. Sheldon said Ms. Smith was the only person who lived on the block. The family begged her to leave Williamsburg, but she refused. In the late 1980s, she finally moved to a nursing home in Manhattan, but spoke endlessly of returning to North 6th Street. She died in 2003. Sweetwater opened 10 years ago, on a recent Friday afternoon, the happy hour crowd sidled up to the bar and a few early birds took menus in the dining room. The dusty light that had percolated through the plate windows, illuminating the tile floors and ornate tin ceiling, made it easy to picture a time when shipbuilders and longshoremen gathered there. Some of those men and their female companions are immortalized in photos on the wall. Ms. Bronmo lives in Ms. Ms. Smith, Ms. Smith's former apartment. She shared it with her husband, Pablo, um, the restaurant's chef and co-owner, who died in 2013. 
She does not believe the building is haunted and thinks the staff is superstitious. As for the broken glasses, she said vibrations from the drilling during construction at the restaurant probably made them brittle. Um, Cesar Sanchez, 43, the employee who took the small gold ring, wears it squeezed on the tip of his left pinky. He is not concerned that it may have offended an apparition. Ms. Sheldon, who lives in Las Vegas, and Ms. Ambrosio visited, visited Sweetwater a few years ago. Mr. Aragonaguez, sorry, Pablo, <laughs> told Ms. Sheldon how the music would switch on when he was alone at night and how the lights would flicker. That's Aunt Anna, Ms. Sheldon said. She had tons of records. She loved music and she loved going out to eat. That's pretty cool. This one's called I Believe in Ghosts. Um, this is actually very recent, October 27th, by Caitlin Greenridge. Um, or Greenidge, sorry. Um, she put, I believe in ghosts. Come to my family's house, you might believe too. Two years ago, faced with the rising cost of living in the greater Boston area, my family decided to put our lots in together to buy a property that could accommodate my middle sister, Carrie, my mother, and my oldest sister, Kirsten, um, her husband, and their two children. I live in New York, but I was part of this too. If only because of that fantasy of every kid who has grown up poor, that I would know I was successful when I could buy my mother a house. I couldn't, alone, afford to buy a house for her. We all bought this house together. If you live close to any major city in the United States, and you are not part of a family with the wealth and means to secure stable housing, chances are you've experienced this kind of displacement in the past decade. The kind that means that the place you know as your home does not belong to you. I have a friend from rural Tennessee who has, has seen even his family graveyard swept up by developers hoping to revitalize the holler. During the search, my family drove farther and farther from Boston proper to the center of the state to look at farmhouses and estates and double-deckers. We had a weekly phone call on Sundays to discuss the, the finds. The primary question from my sisters and me, much to my mother's, my mother's and brother-in-law's annoyance, was, is the property haunted? So, I didn't necessarily feel anything, was often said. Sometimes, no, there was definitely something watching us, or even the kids say they saw a shadow. When we finally found the place we wanted, my family told me that, they, that the house they chose was big and open and nobody felt anything. My sister Carrie, the historian, told us of other uses of the land our house was built on. In the 19th century, it was an Indian reservation. According to Carey, Massachusetts kept relocating its Native American population farther and farther west as white New Englanders moved from the city and set up towns in previous expanses of woods and farmland. Our house was on the land of one of these reservations for part of a tribe that was especially despised because it consisted of Indians and Blacks. They were moved out here in the 1830s, and then even this land was taken from them by the state, with vague promises never fulfilled to give them financial compensation. And so we moved in. For the first few weeks, it was a constant collaboration of whether there was a spirit present. How are the kids adjusting? I asked every time I called home. It's so quiet they say they can hear the cows in the, in the field a half mile away, Kirsten said. 
They think they're talking to them at night. We paused on this to take in what it might mean. Definitely something to add to the pattern of things potentially being haunted. When someone new comes to visit for the first time, one of my sisters or I will usually ask if they have ever seen a ghost. Whether the person responds with enthusiasm or annoyance is usually a good gauge of whether they're going to enjoy hanging out with our family. When we were younger, we tended to make friends with girls who answered too enthusiastically who would respond to, have you ever seen a ghost? With an earnest, yes, and he's looking at us right now through the window. This also meant that having friends over sometimes ended in tears. The next time I stayed at the house, though, I saw it, or rather her, a figure in a cloak who was sitting on the couches in the living room, which I had to pass through to use the bathroom during the night. She was bent over, her face shrouded. I couldn't see her expression, but whatever radiated from her was something my mind registered as benevolent and loving. This did not stop me from turning around immediately running back to my bed in the other side of the house and locking the door behind me. For many nights, every time I slept in that room, there was an insistent knocking at the door, starting at 3 a.m. Caitlin, that is a woodpecker, my mother said. She has no patience for the supernatural. It's because of her that I cultivate these feelings. She used to drive from our white suburb to the Black Children's Bookstore three towns over for African and Caribbean folk folk tales. She loves ghost stories as part of our culture, but she'd never actually mess with the supernatural herself. It's sort of like when my mother makes greens and uses Worcestershire sauce instead of ham hocks. She gave those up after too many relatives stopped eating pork in the 1970s. My mother, though, extraordinary misfortune and just general bad luck, has had to move too many times in the past 20 years. She gave up a fear of ghosts a long time ago, if she ever had one. As long as a potential home is safe and clean, she doesn't see what the problem is. So when I tell her I've seen a ghost, she responds with, oh, come on. When a ghost shows up in a story, it is often a way to talk about what cannot be said, what cannot be acknowledged, whether that is a repressed desire, a family secret, an unpunished crime, or a genocide that some do not want to reckon with. There is the classic MJR excuse me, M.R. James School of Ghost Stories that should follow the perspective of an aristocratic and learned gentleman scholar. Edith Wharton and Henry James loved ghost stories. A lot of theirs are about subtly felt and repressed transgression sexual attractions, which means that I love them. Toni Morrison has a ghost in nearly every work of her fiction. She has said, I think of ghosts and hauntings as just being alert. If you are really alert, then you see the life that exists beyond the life that is on top. For now, we are learning to live with our ghost. Kirsten says the ghost works beside her when she's home in the afternoons. She can hear the ghost opening and closing the children's dresser drawers. Sometimes she tells me the ghost folds her laundry. She likes that we are a family, I said. During evictions past, I adopted a superstition. Wherever I move, I always leave at least one box packed. It's an insurance against too quickly claiming a place you could just as easily lose. I've done the same in this house. A shoebox of old mixtapes and um, memories of adolescence. Sometimes I leave them out 
when I visit, and when I return, someone has always packed them away, tidy them for me. I like that ghost story. And last but not least, this is actually um, not far from me. I work in Philadelphia, and this is called My Philadelphia Ghost Story by Margie Kerr. This is in 2015. It has always bothered me that I've never seen a ghost. As a sociologist who studies fear, I'm well acquainted with the statistics. 42% of American adults believe in ghosts. Last year, in search of my own ghost story, I went to what is uh, reputed to be one of the most haunted places in America, Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. Nearly 60 paranormal investigation teams explore the site each year, seeking evidence of ghosts within. Even if the lore was stripped away, the former prison would still be terrifying. Its 30-foot Gothic castle walls separate Philadelphia from an institution with a long history of pain and abuse, the first prison to use solitary confinement. Built in 1829, Eastern State was occupied until 1971, after which it was scavenged and plundered by trespassers and nature alike. When the site was turned over to a nonprofit in the mid-90s, it was in a state of ruin. Crumbling walls, roofs collapsed into cell blocks, rusted pipes strewn across floors, and chipped paint that gave every surface a look of decay. Much of it remains the same today, though it now operates as a museum, capitalizing on its reputation with features like a haunted house and a ghost bus. I thought it was best to travel with professionals and joined a, com a team complete with photographers, a psychic, lots of equipment, and experienced ghost hunters. They packed their cameras, tripods, audio recorders, even an electromagnetic field detector. We walked stealthily through the dark cell blocks, and as I passed each cell and looked in, I imagined brutal killers locked behind layers of stone and wardens treating inmates like animals. My palms were sweating and my heart rate had ticked up a notch. I was starting to feel afraid. Our minds are so powerful that we can think our bodies are into having real physiological reactions. You want to believe a drug will work, so it does. You want to see a ghost, so you'll see a ghost. The psychosomatic experiences are the standard scientific explanation for paranormal phenomena, but it's not all in our minds. While our senses are keen, there are things happening around us that we are not completely aware of. For example, infrasound, sound waves of 20 hertz or less, mostly inaudible to the human ear. Our bodies can pick up these tiny vibrations through our skin and even our eyes. They register that something is not quite right and have been shown to produce feelings of uneasiness, revulsion, fear, and chills. This is the same process that alerts animals of a coming natural disaster. A large empty building with lots of structural def deficits, like say an abandoned prison, is a prime spot for infrasound. We carried out the hunt in silence. I would have loved to get everyone in an fMRI right then and look at their brains. Over the past 20 years, fMRI and EEG studies of Tibetan monks, Carmelite nuns, psychics, and the hyper-religious have revealed the neurological manifestations of mystical experiences. Researchers have found that stimulation of the brain's left anterior insula is linked to the feeling of a sensed presence. The neuroscientist Shahar Arzi and his colleagues 
found that repeated electrical stimulation of an area of the left temporoperi sorry guys parietal junction resulted in the subjects perceiving a shadowy figure and those who suffer from temporal temporal lobe epilepsy have reported experiences comparable to supernatural encounters including feelings of heightened spirituality a sense presence and euphoria collectively known as I cannot pronounce this Gastot Geschwind syndrome. This is not to say everyone who reports seeing a ghost is suffering from brain damage or a neurological condition, but it does suggest that changes in the way our brain is communicating can make us feel as if we're engaging with the paranormal. We stopped at a cell that the psychic reported to be especially active. The hunters set up a cassette tape recorder and microphone. We peered into the cell dark except for a bright beam of moonlight coming in through the tiny window. I was staring harder than I'd ever before. The only sound came from the slow, hypnotic turning of the cassette tape. Time slowed to a crawl. The passage of time is, is a subjective experience influenced by how important and how novel an experience is. New things, threatening things, arousing things, all are going to feel as if they last longer. Our brains are working overtime to make sure we remember every little detail for future reference, gathering and processing all the signals and sensations in our bodies. Standing in front of the prison cell, I was overwhelmed by both the history of the prison and the anticipation of the hunt. And that's when I felt it. A chill at the base of my neck quickly rippled throughout my body. My shoulders shuddered. I felt warm, relaxed, and yet fully aware of everything around me. I was full of emotion and felt an incredible closeness to the four ghost hunters next to me, people I had just met hours before. This was a sensation I had never experienced. For a few glorious moments, I believed that a ghost, perhaps the long-ago occupant of this cell, was passing through me. I spent the rest of the evening in a trance, following the hunters through the cold, empty, eerie hallways. I had my ghost story, finally. Or did I? I knew that my power, powerful paranormal experience was most likely a result of my heightened, sensitized emotional state. The feelings I experienced are similar to what is known as autonomous sensory meridian response. It is not a clinical diagnosis, and there is skepticism over whether it is a physiologically distant, distinct, measurable experience. But anywho... <laughs> that's not what she says, but that's what I'm thinking. But whether it was the intense uh, emotions induced by the building, the infrared sound, a misfiring of key brain circuits, or my own desire to believe, I left that day with a far from normal experience. Inside the old prison, we were alive with energy, anticipation, and excitement. I allowed myself to suspend my disbelief and indulge the instinct in every one of us to search and explore. I will never give up that adventure and neither should you. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully I didn't scare you too much. Good night.